2: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you've missed any of my Talk Radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy.
1: Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good
2: morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer, joined all this morning by Emma Revel. She's head of communications at the Institute of Economic Affairs, and we'll get her thoughts on our next guest in just a few moments. Delighted to welcome Robert Jenrick, the Housing and Communities and Local Government Secretary to the show. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Um, extraordinary morning uh, this morning. The leader of the free world, the President of the United States, Donald Trump and his wife have uh, tested positive for coronavirus. Your reaction to that news?
3: Well, I think all of us want to send our our best wishes to the president and the first lady and, and the Trump family. We wish them a speedy recovery.
2: Um, now, let's come back to what's been happening here. I must ask you first up about uh, uh, the SNP uh, MP Margaret Ferrier. Uh, she ignored COVID, uh, uh, well, she got herself a COVID test, having felt unwell, didn't have the results, but travelled 700 miles to the House of Commons on the train. She then spoke in Parliament, got the test results, travelled back on the train uh, another 700 miles, and it wasn't until a few days later she told uh, the uh, uh, her, gov- her party that she had tested positive. She's broken the law five times. Uh, she has had the withdrawn uh, by uh, the SNP. Nicola Sturgeon has called her actions utterly indefensible. Um, Should she resign as an MP?
3: Well, I don't like to comment on individual cases. I've seen her statements. I'm aware of what she's done. It's now really a matter for her and her party, the SNP, as to what her political future is. And obviously for the police and the law enforcement authorities, who I see are investigating this.
2: Um, she was one of the people who criticised Dominic Cummings, uh, as did I, for what he did in his uh, road trip to Durham and back during the lockdown. You face a lot of criticism over uh, your your decision to lock down as a family home, not not in London and not in your constituency. Um, do you understand why an awful lot of people, especially those facing uh, extra lockdown measures, 10pm curfews, told they can't spend, you know, spend time with more than five other people at a time, do you understand why a lot of people in this country right now are getting really fed up with the notion that there is one rule for you lot and one rule for the rest of us.
3: Well, there's not one rule for uh, for one set in society and and another rule for others. Everybody has to follow the rules and nobody is above the law, as uh, as Margaret Ferrier is now discovering, as the police are investigating the matter.
2: Well, you say everyone has to follow the rules. Dominic Cummings still in a job. You're still in a job after breaching those lockdown rules. Uh, Margaret Ferrier is still getting paid by the taxpayer despite having broken the law. Um, I've got to be honest with you. If I did that, if I came into this office having a test, you know, being, having having taken a test for coronavirus, I, I I would be in breach of contract. I I'd be out of an, out of my ear. I wouldn't have a job the next day.
3: Well, it's clear that what she did was against the law, uh, as you've said, and I'm not going to comment any further on that. For the rest of us, the national rules are now very clear. We've got to wash our hands, wear a mask, stay apart, abide by the rule of six. And then there are local restrictions beyond that in individual places that are being set by the government in uh, concert with local directors of public health. I I agree that can appear confusing at times, but if you live in those areas, then you need to go onto gov.uk or your local council's website, familiarize yourself with the rules, and obviously follow them. Everybody has to follow them. That is the way we avoid having further national restrictions, a blanket approach, which none of us want to see.
2: Okay, well, what about? I mean, this idea of having local restrictions. We now got twenty-five percent of the country is now sixteen plus million people currently living under these extra local restrictions, uh, on, on which we know that MPs don't have an individual vote on. However, the mayor of Middlesbrough, Andy Preston, uh, he yesterday was very, very clear. He does not want the local lockdown measures. We're told these are supposed to be at the request of local political leaders. He said to Matt Hancock, your your colleague as the health secretary, that he didn't want these measures. He does doesn't want from midnight tonight people to be fined if they are mixing uh, anywhere indoors uh, with someone from a different household. Um, and uh, and he says he wants to try and convince the government to drop the plan. Um, should the government be overriding locally elected politicians to impose local lockdowns without a vote in Parliament?
3: Well, well, firstly, Juliet, nobody wants these measures. It's not a question of whether we want them. It's whether we need them to control the virus, to protect people's lives, and to prevent a wider blanket approach, which you know you don't want to see, I don't want to see, further restrictions on other parts of the country. There are wide variances across the country. The number of cases in parts of the Southwest are very low, as low as 10 or 20 per 100,000. In Knowsley, there are over 200 uh, cases per 100,000 people. So it's right to take a targeted, localized approach. With respect to uh, the comments by the mayor at Middlesbrough, I have to say I was surprised and disappointed by those. Uh, Middlesbrough Council did request further restrictions uh, be imposed with respect to their local area and were then in conversation with uh, the government as to what those measures should be. There might be some disagreement, I don't know, about the exact measures, uh, but certainly the local council indeed the mayor uh, was quoted as saying that they wanted further restrictions. I think he's on the front page of the local paper in Middlesbrough uh, asking for them. So it, it's a curious position now, and I think that's irresponsible... But it- People in Middlesbrough but, need to follow those guidelines and that's the way that we can get the virus under control in their local area.
2: But wanting local restrictions doesn't mean you just want whatever restrictions that, that, that your government decides to hand down. We know this 10pm curfew, already facing a rebellion from Tory MPs talking, the court, talking about this being a nanny state curfew. Um, we spoke to Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Greater Manchester, who's been not unsupportive of government measures throughout this actually. He's not, been, not taken a sort of party political line uh, on this throughout. Um, and he says that he thinks the 10pm curfew uh, is is unworkable um it, it's all very well bringing in restrictions to tackle uh, the virus spread but if those measures don't appear to have any effect and may even indeed have a negative effect as in people go and drink at home where they're not socially distanced or they're partying in the street or they're all on public transport at the same time that's what we've been seeing in the last week um shouldn't the government cancel measures that don't work
3: well, as I say, none of us want to see these restrictions. we listen to uh, the advice of the government scientists and to local directors of public health. No, we you do... didn't for
2: the 10pm we... curfew. No, you didn't. The sage, the SAGE were not asked to give any advice on that. There is no medical or scientific evidence that, at all for that.
3: that that's not correct. Either. That is correct. I, uh, the, the SAGE
2: have said the, they were not asked about medical that officer,
3: The chief medical officer uh, did express a view on the 10pm curfew, I heard it uh from him myself and the view of uh medical professionals such as him was that the longer that you stay out and we can all understand this the longer that you stay out in the pub the more drinks that you might have the more likely you are to come into close proximity with other people the less likely you are to follow the guidelines and that was the decision that lay, the, the advice that lay behind that decision but look, all these things are kept under review Uh, If it proves that this one is less effective than others, then uh, it it may not be deployed in the future. Um, But it's right to continue to pursue the local approach. I've seen that work in my own constituency in Newark and Nottinghamshire that went onto the watch list. Particular measures were put in place by the government and by the local director of public health. They worked and we're now off the watch list. So that must be the right approach because we don't want to see broader measures applying in all parts of the country, irrespective of how many cases there are in those places.
2: Um, there is actually new evidence that suggests that in the towns and cities where local lockdowns, extra restrictions have been in place for the long term, those towns and cities have actually seen cases doubling rather than going down, this might suggest that either those local lockdown restrictions aren't working or they are doing more harm than good. For instance, people actually meeting up in their homes rather than in socially distanced public places. Um, If we are going to be running policy based on the science, capital T, capital S, should we not be looking at evidence like that?
3: Well, we are, Julia, as you'd expect. We're constantly trying to refine the approach. We're learning more with every passing week. Local approaches have worked uh, in many parts of the country. I think the research that you're pointing to showed that they'd worked in in, in some places. I've commissioned research from my department into the situation in Leicester. Uh, and that showed that the approach did succeed thanks to the efforts of the local people uh, and the local authorities there. As I say, it worked in my own constituency. I could point to two other examples. There are some parts of the country where the number of cases is rising significantly faster uh, than elsewhere. And it's right that we apply extra restrictions there because that protects the freedoms and liberties of people in other parts of the country where the virus is much more under control. Of course, we keep this th- th- this under constant review. And if we have to take further measures in those places, then we will do. But that's not something that any of us will do lightly.
2: Okay, Just it. are you confident as a member of the cabinet, a member of the government, that the government is currently... Uh, on top of its coronavirus policy and it's got the right policy?
3: Yes, I am. As I say, these are not easy decisions. We're learning more as we go and refining uh, the messaging. We have, I think, now simple and clear national messaging. We've got an emergingly and increasingly strong national test and trace uh, support infrastructure. And we're continuing to pursue this localised approach. We'll do everything we can to protect the public. But there's an important balance here Which is between that effort and ensuring that we keep people's jobs and livelihoods going as well through a difficult autumn and winter with rising unemployment. And that's the balance that the Prime Minister is trying to strike in each of these decisions. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app Talk Radio.
5: For free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk radio.
2: First of all, though, let's get the thoughts of the former Brexit Secretary, Conservative MP David Davis. Good morning to you, David.
6: Good morning. Good
2: morning. Good morning. Your reaction, first of all, to that very shocking news this morning that Donald Trump, only uh, a month before the presidential election, has contracted coronavirus.
6: Yeah, it's terrible for him. I I and his wife. I hope that I mean, bear in mind he would probably categorize in this country at least as a as a risk category. He's what, he's in his seventies? Seventy four, yep. seventy four. He's he's not thin. Um, you know, so I mean all the sort of the, the sort of risk categories that point at it being dangerous will be very serious for him. So, you know, obviously he'll get the best possible Assistance and medical assistance in the world, but but nevertheless, it's still it's still a frightening thing. I think so. You know, I I, I hope he recovers quickly.
1: Um,
2: there have been quite a lot of glee from an awful lot of those on social media, particularly Twitter. A lot of people talk about karma, given that this is a man who uh, publicly derided this as a hoax virus, uh, not real, mocked people wearing masks, even sort of questioned wearing uh, Biden wearing a mask so much uh, during the debate on Tuesday night. What do you make of that reaction? Well.
6: Well, my, my response to them is get a grip. You know, I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't whisk a de- risk uh, or wish a dangerous disease on anybody. You know, and so, you know, sort of grow up is my answer to that, I'm afraid. And uh, (laughs) we
2: all remember when we were in lockdown, much darker times uh, a few months ago when Boris Johnson was ill and he was then isolating and then, of course, went into hospital. And then we found out he was in ICU. It was a very scary time for, I think, for our country. I think the entire nation was sort of waiting every morning to get the latest news and hope that the prime minister, whether they'd voted for him or not, was well. Um, A very scary time for Americans heading just a month away into a, a presidential election as well.
6: Yeah, dead right. I mean, these uh, people who are in the public eye, like like our prime minister, like the president uh, and many others, for that matter, you know, people feel closer to them than than, than uh, uh, and they know more about them and they can imagine it, it it ceases to be a load of statistics it ceases to be an r number it ceases to be all those other things it suddenly becomes somebody human and personal uh, and that you can imagine so so of course it's scary of course it's worrying uh, as, as it as it as indeed it was with when, when boris had it uh, you know once somebody you you know about in detail has this it's much easier to imagine it yourself you know i think most people don't have any imagination about what, what this would mean for themselves until it gets close and this is one way of that happening
2: Indeed, well okay let's turn our attention to what we originally invited you to talk about and this is of course <laughs> the um, the news yesterday that Ursula von der Leyen, uh, the uh, European Commission president at uh, a big pre- press conference she did yesterday just as I came off air uh, saying that she had sent a letter of formal notice to the British government uh, yesterday morning uh, that uh, the EU is taking legal action against uh, the uh, UK over the, uh, the passing of the internal market bill, which overrides the Brexit divorce treaty, um, and that legal action will continue. Now, of course, it emerged very soon after that, that uh, legal action is brought by the EU against member states all the time, including those who are very upset about uh, uh, of that internal market bill, Germany, France, Ireland and the others. What do you make of this? Is this just a bit of grandstanding, a bit of theatre, or is this something we should take seriously? Well,
6: um, uh, I, don't think, I, I don't think it's something we should take terribly seriously. I mean, look, there, there, there are... T- the first thing to understand is this was going to happen. Even if the EU didn't bring it, some member of the EU might have brought it or even a citizen of the EU might have brought it. It was going to happen. The moment a minister said we're doing something illegal, which I actually think he was wrong about, but the moment he said that, this was going to happen. Now, this could be one of two things. It could be A routine first step, you know, just as when you're doing any legal process, your lawyer says you're going to do this by this day and so on. It could be that. Uh, And that's what Mark Rutter, the the prime minister of uh, of Holland, of of the Netherlands, uh, said yesterday. Or... And I think more likely, it's a little bit of posturing. It's a part of the negotiating process. Uh, and it's a, it's an attempt to put a little bit more pressure on us. Uh, the thing to understand in all of this, uh, and you don't really get it in the British press, you don't get the understanding in the British press, is that the European Union will use every single lever available to them, you know, Good, bad, or indifferent, it will use every single leader. That's what we've seen the last few years. You know, all sorts of wrong assertions, all sorts of claims are not true, all sorts of posturing, uh, and that's why I think we should just ignore it. I mean, the truth is, it will only be relevant in the event of No Deal, um, and under those circumstances, I'm not at all sure, frankly, how much leverage the European Union. And its courts have over us. So, frankly, I'd, I'd shrug it off and say, well, so what? Let's get on with the negotiation.
2: And in terms of those negotiations, Lord David Frost, our negotiator, Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, in Brussels today. Um, we yeah. are fast approaching that deadline uh, that, Donald, that, uh, that Boris Johnson imposed, 15th of October at the next EU summit. Uh, that's fast approaching, just 13 days away. We normally go to what, is it two weeks of these so-called tunnel talks where everyone turns off their phones and actually gets down to the technical detail of these talks. Are you hopeful, that sometime over this weekend or maybe even later today we are going to hear an announcement?
6: No, not necessarily. Um, I mean, look, I understand the primers are putting a uh, a deadline on it, but, you know, the real deadline is the 31st of December uh, and uh, even that could get stretched. So... No, I think what will happen is we'll have more posturing. We get better. We get, we're, you know, we're getting closer. There's no doubt about that. You can actually see it and you can sense it. And to be honest, I'm a big fan of David Roth. I think he's playing a blinder. I think he's done this exactly right from the beginning um, and uh, you know, uh, it, the, the stance, the sort of tough-minded stance he's taken has been right all along. Uh, and it's beginning to show results but you're still going to get backsliding you're still going to get individual members of the european union say no 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 we want to hang on to our fish or no 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 we can't allow them to have uh the the right to state aid or whatever all those things will 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 surge and go away and surge and go away and surge and go away Uh, so my hunch you know i hope we do it in the next 15 days but or 13 days but my hunch is it'll still be going afterwards and you know, Although we've let them put the deadline down, truth is, if they came back the day after the deadline and said, actually, all right, we want to talk again about this thing, are we going to say no? I don't think so. Um,
2: finally, you were one of the uh, rebels, the Tory rebels, threatening uh, on the issues of the government extending their emergency powers. In fact, we've mm. got you to thank. There was even a, a vote on this, given that the government originally wanted two years for the powers before they had to be reviewed. Right. You were exposed <laughs> on the six-month amendment. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, what do you make of people like the Middlesbrough mayor and others who are now coming forward, and, and, and along with the rebels as well, talking about the nanny state 10pm curfew, talk about measures being imposed from na- nationally uh, in terms of local areas, in terms of not actually what they've asked for, um, do you think that there is now something of a mood change from the British people and their representatives in terms of what people will put up with regards to lockdown?
6: Well, I think there's a mood change. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't go with the mayor of Middlesbrough. I think he's unwise to sort of talk about effectively about breaking the law. That's
2: no, he's very. No, he was categorically clear he would not break the law.
6: Right. Okay. well, then good. I mean, because that's 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 very important. Uh, You know, (laughs) to coin somebody else's phrase, we are all in this together. Um, So we've got to get it right. Uh, And so uh, public officials have got to do the right thing. Uh, Look, of course, there's a great deal of irritation. I mean, I think one of the most interesting comments in the Commons yesterday to Hancock was from Greg Clark. Now, you I think, you know, Greg Clark. He's an incredibly reasonable, excessively reasonable person, really. He's one of these people who's so nice, you know. And he's turning around saying, where's the evidence for this 10 o'clock curfew, you know? And we we have for six months been basically accepting that the government knows best. Never a viewpoint I've ever subscribed to. But nevertheless, we have been for six months accepting they know best. And of course over the course of that six months they've had to reverse their line about a dozen times why because they didn't know best because they hadn't done the science because they hadn't thought it through properly for whatever reasons and what you're going to see now and, uh, and partly as a result of the, the rebellion uh, in the last week is you're going to see government having to justify it much more and you're going to see a very skeptical public saying why more and more and more. Why? And that will deliver better government and we'll get a better outcome and we'll have less chance of another surge and less chance of another uh, another lockdown uh, because we're doing it properly. Ministers don't know best. White talk, frankly, as a decision-making organisation is not that great. Uh, And uh, what's going to happen now is Parliament's going to force the government to justify things. That's for everybody's good because it means we'll get better outcome and also less damage.
3: Online. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
2: No doubt at all, biggest news this morning uh, is the news that uh, Donald Trump has tested positive for coronavirus alongside his wife, uh, Melania. They, of course, uh, had to have tests after his aide, Hope Hicks, uh, tested positive after travelling on Air Force One. No one wearing a mask to the presidential debate on Tuesday night. Uh, Before we hear from uh, Emma and uh, go through more of the news, let's get the latest on this from Republicans overseas. Greg Swenson, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Greg.
1: Good morning, Julie. Um, this is
2: extraordinary news. We already know, knew that, that Donald Trump uh, had been uh, quarantining, self-isolating uh, after Hope Hicks tested positive, uh, but there are now very big concerns about the huge number of people he has been in contact with.
1: Yeah, he is the president of the United States, and you know his schedule is demanding. And and look, there's no doubt he's you know been in contact with a lot of people, and you know so hopefully they'll execute some contact tracing. I mean, the one the one advantage being president, you know. Has is you know that that everybody who comes in contact with them you know is is vetted, and so I'm quite sure they have really uh almost exact information. On who he's who he's talked to, and you know, even at the rallies, they they register everybody.
2: Indeed, and now he has uh, been, you know, very famously held an awful lot of rallies, even an indoor rally. He denied this on Tuesday night, but he got, I've seen the seen the video. It definitely happened, where pretty much no one was wearing a mask. Now there were no masks worn by Donald Trump or Melania or any other members of the family when they sure. flew to the presidential debate on Tuesday night. Everybody at that debate, uh, people in the crowd, people who were um you know doing the filming, and everything, they all had to test. Negative uh, before they were allowed into that hall. Um, so it does appear that I mean, again, you can test negative and the next day have the virus. Obviously, we know that, right. but it does appear. I mean, Hope Hicks, you know, do we do we have any idea where she thinks that she may, to, may have contracted the virus if she's the reason he's got it?
1: Not, not yet. And I think you know, obviously, the you know, the White House and, and the, especially the president's inner circle is going to be tested, you know, consistently because of the risk to the president. I mean, that's quite natural and. and wouldn't doesn't surprise anybody. Um, so look, I, you know, if anything, the system worked, they were you know, because because she was uh, tested on Wednesday and tested positive and they, that way they could immediately test the president. So, um, you know, look, in that sense, the system worked. And I think, you know, obviously there's there's probably no one better situated for track and trace than the president of the United States.
2: There is that. Now, of course, we saw here in the UK, Boris Johnson, a much younger man uh, Mm -hmm. in his 50s, get the virus, get very sick. Uh, We are told, you know, at death's door at one point in ICU, a very very, I've got to it's a very scary time. I think for a lot of us in Britain, I think the whole country was really. Yes, you're right. Was I, really, I remember yeah, that, yeah. We very we upset. Represent- now, bearing in mind Donald Trump is 74 years old, uh, we were at a time right. where there was massive, uh, big uh, you know, strife in America at the time. There is no doubt at all. This is going to unnerve a lot of people, particularly Trump fanatics who have believed his claims from early on that this is all a hoax. The virus is a hoax. He's come down with a hoax. I, I
1: I'm not sure there are a lot of um, Trump. Fanatics who thinks it thinks it's a hoax. I think that there's been pushback against the lockdowns for sure from Trump supporters, and but and so yeah, it might change the tone a bit. But I, I don't I don't necessarily agree that, that there's a, a huge number of people that um, that think it's a hoax. But I do I do understand that conservatives by nature are against, generally speaking, against um, universal lockdowns. You know, I think protecting the vulnerable and perhaps using you know you know isolated lockdowns. You know and, and look that i'm not surprised that people didn't have masks on it's not you know it's not mandatory um i think people are willing to move on with their lives and the president's been advocating that uh, well not to be ridiculous about it not to take un- unwarranted risks but you know he's the president of the united states he's not going to walk around with a black mask on it's just not his nature he's an optimist he's he's energetic he's positive and and look you know julia you're, you're right he's in a high risk demographic in terms of his age I know he's slightly overweight, but he's not, you know, he's not grotesquely overweight. He's not clinically obese, um, which is obviously a a risk or comorbidity, but he's not diabetic. He doesn't have any notable upper respiratory issues. So he doesn't check any of the boxes on comorbidities, although, you know, given his age, I imagine he'll have some symptoms. And hopefully, obviously, hopefully he'll 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 uh, have a better experience than than the prime minister did.
2: Indeed. Um just finally, obviously, we're only a month away. November the third is the election day. This basically takes the, the president out of action in terms of rallies and and campaigning for a week, ten days, possibly two weeks. I mean, that's assuming yeah. he doesn't actually get ill and is still and remains asymptomatic, which we we think that he is right now. But um, also, though, puts coronavirus and his handling of the pandemic centre stage, doesn't it? Because sure. you know, it, it, we yeah. wants to be is to be about the culture wars and and we you know what's happening in terms of uh, you know Black Lives Matter protests and like this is going to be all about coronavirus now this is a very big risk for him
1: yeah, possibly but but not necessarily i mean look the biggest risk obviously julia that he can't go out and campaign which is one of his strong suits you know I, I think that you know that's something that could have an effect but no he'll he'll flip the switch he'll get he'll get the zoom going in the in the white house in the in the in the you know upstairs in the white house um He'll still be active. He's, you know, as I said, he's a positive, energetic person, and he's a great advocate for America. So I think he'll he'll fight this thing, and just like he fights for for the voters every day.
3: Online on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
2: Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from six thirty until ten.